Leading Britain's Conversation. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning. Coming up at six, in conversation, two fantastic guests for you today. First up, a man with a very impressive career, actor, TV presenter and comedian. That's Brian Connolly. As well as Brian, we have a female comedienne. One of my favourite guests, that's Ruby Wax. Well, that's all at six, but first, my best bits from the week. And this week, we started off by talking about cleanliness. I like the idea. It was the producer that found this uh, this next story, bless his heart, because uh, he was telling me, he was telling me about showers, and I don't think he's had a a bath in years. I also have not had a bath in years, and and the reason is I don't. I think it's perhaps it's a young person's thing, a bath, because you sit there in your own in your own dirt. And so I like having a shower because it's just great. I also, as you know, have a seat in the shower. And it's only because I'm bone idle. What's the point in standing up when you can sit down and you can reach everything so much easier? And so I sit there with a the shower and I just love it. So I, 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 do, I do the same thing every day. I get the shower and put, put my shampoo on. And, uh, and sort of sit there with it on, looking a little bit like sort of some Barbie doll. And, uh, and then I soap my body up. OK, hold back, hold back. Try not to be too excited by this. And, uh, and then, I, then I do my feet, all the way down my legs to my feet. Not missing anything. And, um, sorry, is what? <laughs> and so, and, and I've got this, this flannel. And, and I like sort of soaping that up as well. And I'm not very good at doing my back. That's always the difficult thing to do. I can get halfway up the side and then over the top and then you can sort of go down down from the bottom there. And and I, I remember thinking the other day, I just love having a shower. They say that people nowadays, in this report, a survey of a thousand people, they say their shower lasts for just 30 seconds. 30 seconds? I'm in there for like 15 minutes. 15 minutes in the shower. I can't do a shower in 30 seconds. God, but you couldn't soap everything up, could you? Well, you might be able to, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be rinsing it off at all. The study found that young people between 18 and 24, so sadly it doesn't include me, but it does include him next door. Does it include you? Does it just... Oh, you're, 20, oh, you're not even in this survey! He's 25 now. With a generation most reluctant to wait around for a bath to run. Yeah, I mean, I used to lie in a bath a long time ago. And not now. I really can't be bothered. I suppose if, if I was in a hotel and there was a big bath... No, I wouldn't actually. No, I'm kind of looking cl- no, I'm, on reflection, every time I've been in a hotel, and and you get into the, I get into a shower. I don't get into a bath at all. It's odd, isn't it? Really, you might be one of those people. You bath or shower, people. I'm I'm shower. I can't remember the last time I had a bath. Does that make me really grubby? No, because a shower's better and it uses less water. Not that I think that's any particular recommendation. Because I'm not particularly bothered about whether I'm saving water or not. On the subject of Hounslow. Uh, Val says, I can't think of anything worse than you being stood up in Hounslow. What a nightmare. I found it quite intimidating, actually. I really did. Lots of people just hang around on street corners. Never used to be like that in my day. Um, Saturday was Women's Day. The guest speaker at a gathering of influential women was Katie Price, going on about how Page 3 empowered girls or women. I'm not in the slightest. I mean, she's far too stupid to realise that. She's got a voice like a coal miner. Oh, my God, she's reading from a script and she kept losing the thread. Who thought Jordan was a role model for younger women? And I can't do a Jordan impression. Although she did say it, this thing, people f- people think, she said think, there's a lot of that think going on, F-I-N-K, people think that I earned a lot of money during my, you know, getting my boobs out, but I got about 90 quid a session. 
you know, she's made it all through the endorsements. And uh, those appear to be dropping off at the moment because she doesn't have a television programme. So I don't, I don't really know what, what the purpose of her is. I mean, she just looks a little bit ridiculous. But it doesn't empower women going topless in a paper. And that's just, that's an idiot speaking. That's a complete idiot. It doesn't empower women at all. They were saying that the other day. They said it on Loose Women. The only one who thought it empowered women was Colleen Nolan, who proved quite categorically that she was uh, so out of touch with everybody. Completely out of touch. Uh, Piers Morgan should do a true life story about White D. She's got a record out, hasn't she? But uh, funny that, isn't it? Oh, she doesn't want to do... I forget what it was. I'll cut it for the, uh, for the free podcast for later on. There's certain things she doesn't want to do, and I thought, no, because uh, it's going to ruin your benefits, isn't it? And that's what you do in life, you sponge. More on the, uh, the string of celebrities could be facing hefty bills over a, a billion-pound tax avoidance scheme. It's perfectly legal, but they're not entirely convinced that these people should be allowed to, uh, to do it. And there's everybody. Adroid Webber, Gary Lineker, David Beckham. And it's this, uh, the ingenious film partners... Two LLP scheme, which spawned hits like uh, Life of Pi and Avatar. HM Revenue and Customs are arguing it's not a legitimate investment opportunity, but a means of avoiding tax. They're going to have a tribunal in November, if you please, in November. You know, to uh, to sort of uh, which ingenious plans to defend the scheme. Of course, if if they don't manage to defend it, then there's going to be a lot of bills going out for people who've been using it. But there again, lots of people have different things, don't they? Lots of people have different things of, you know, they buy this, they buy that, anything to actually make sure they don't have to pay a huge amount of, of tax, which is good. Uh, 84850, uk. Another one here. Uh, it says, uh, uh, showers, but only when, it, only when it rains. Oh, right. You see, I mean, I actually, uh, I quite like that. I quite like the idea of showers at all. Uh, Miles is in Bristol, because he's a long, long way away. Uh, Steve, thank God, Dancing on Ice has finished. Yeah, the only problem for me is what they're going to replace it with. I don't, I don't know what they're going to put in it. Um, one here, Stupid. This is a girl who thought uh, Barack Obama was our president. This is an audience with a beauty salon receptionist. Uh, she says, I've got 17 GCSEs. So there you go. And uh, Gemma, her name is. Gemma somebody. I don't know anything about her. Uh, if Barack Obama is our president, why is he getting involved with Russia, says Gemma. I mean, th- and this is a woman with 17 GCSEs. I'll tell you the worst programme on the television, though. I mean, it, the really the worst programme is that one with Steve Jones on, and it's set in a hairdressing salon. That's the, be- that's the only gig he can actually get. That is the only... It was so, so dreadful, I'm afraid. Absolutely so, so dreadful. Uh, Also, Peppa Pig taught my daughter a rude word. Uh, This is a a mother claiming she's learnt the F word from the cartoon Peppa Pig. And uh, Natalie Cox was horrified when... I think the daughter is called Clanna. uh, Used the swear word, but it was only when her son Isaac watched a Peppa Pig DVD that she realised where her daughter had picked it up. Um, Pepper's teacher, Madame Gazelle, is in a band called the Rocking Gazelles. But Miss Cox of Cardiff... Oh, well, here you go. <laughs> this is, sums it up, really. Says the name sounds, sounds like the F word, I'm afraid. She said she never swears in front of her children, adding she was mortified when she re-watched the cartoons. Ashley Baker Davis, creators of Pepper Pig, says any misunderstanding was unintentional. And quite clearly, if you come from Cardiff and you're that thick, then, uh, you know... I mean, I've only got to look at this woman to realise... 
It's got the word dumb written all over, I'm afraid. You know, quite clearly, you know, <coughs> thousands and thousands of other people, um, you know, have watched Peppa Pig and they haven't come up with it. Perhaps it's your dirty mind. Perhaps it's... Perhaps you're... Because luckily she doesn't swear in front of the children. But does the, does the father... That's what you have to find out. I love this. They found a bed in a car park. Did you read this story? The bed in the car park. It's a four-poster bed in pieces... Uh, it was bought four years ago by a furniture restorer for £2,200. They thought it could have been made for the marriage of Henry VII to Elizabeth of York and could now be worth as much as £20 million. For a bed? It was sold to Mr Coulson as Victorian after being rescued from a hotel car park in Chester, who discovered builders had dismantled it and dumped it outside its former home. They now believe that a symbolic carving of Adam and Eve on the headboard reveals its Tudor heritage and announced the discovery at a lecture in Crowland Abbey, Lincolnshire. On Friday, Jonathan Foyle, chief executive of World Monument Times, says this bed belonged to Henry VII. It has to be the most important piece of furniture in England. £20 million for a bed? Wow. And I'm looking at it. I went to the uh, V&A a couple of weeks ago and they've got the great bed of wear. In there, which again, when you look at some of these old beds that have still survived, they were either built to last or there wasn't much action going on in them. Perhaps they didn't do things like that in in Tudor times. Diane Abbott has been rebuked for complaining her BBC wage of almost £16 a minute is not enough. Every time she's on this week, she gets £700. With additions lasting 45 minutes, that's £15.55 a minute. On Thursday's show... uh, she was um, she was complaining about how, how much money she makes. Uh, Tory MP Alan Cairn says, I was surprised to hear Diane Abbott dismiss £700 per show to many. That's close to a monthly salary. Most MPs would appear for nothing as part of their duty. Oh, no, not old greedy bat, uh, old Diane Abbott. She's got a son at private school. She's got to make that money somehow, hasn't she? £700 every time she appears. Oh, dear. I shall be throwing stuff at her, ladies and gentlemen. This is from The Only Way is Essex. Danielle Armstrong. Uh, she's some bleach blonde. Another one who can last about 30 seconds before she bursts into a flood of tears. And uh, she's got a boyfriend called James Locke. So she has a, a hissy fit and throws a glass over him as she refuses to believe his cheating denials. So she sits there screwing her face up so she looks like the proverbial pineapple, I'm afraid. A ghastly picture of uh, the uh, most unattractive gay in the village. Poor little, uh, poor little Bobby, Norris Cole. You know, a more peculiar creature, more vile, you'd be hard pushed to find. And nobody seems to like anybody there. And so you've got uh, Elliot Wright and Nanny Pat... I didn't know she was still alive. I'm assuming she's being kept alive by something. And then Frank, who's accused for... Frank is the ugly boy in the series. Spends a lot of time wearing a suit, but he's really not very pleasant. And they've all got foul language. All foul language. And then Frank raising concerns about his and Fern's future with somebody called Louis Bleur. I've got no idea who he is. And then gay boy Bobby uh, chatting away to... I don't know, she's, she's very fat, so it could be Gemma Collins. And then Fern telling Billy for years that Frank Major has told her he's in love with her. I mean, they're really quite disgusting. And also, this series, and I'm not the only one to have noticed it, lots of foul language. You know, from the women as well. Don't want to go down there, I'm afraid. It's just too naff. Too naff for words. Uh, why do people wash their hands in the shower instead of using an exfoliate? I never quite get that. Why, 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 why do people wash with their hands in the shower instead of using an exfoliate? I don't think people know what an exfoliator is. I, I should imagine the majority of people have got no idea what an exfoliator is. You know what an exfoliator is, don't you? 
Yes, you can get an exfoliating glove. And the whole idea is that... And I've, I've got an exfoliating glove and I've got exfoliator as well. I bought some Clinique exfoliator for men. It's quite important. And it's, it's like little grains of sand. If you come from up north, you won't be using all this sissy stuff that we've got down south. But you sort of you rub it in, and it takes away a dead layer of skin. And if you've got the exfoliating glove, you just put it on. You put some, you know, some shower gel on there, and you rub it over your skin, and it uh, takes off the dead skin. You know that because you know you have dead skin because your bed probably needs hoovering every so often nowadays. And then the uh, the shower gel's very good. I mean, I've got God knows how many shower gels. I love shower gels, and I've got the exfoliating glove. And you should do it, because especially on your arms, you don't, I mean, put, try, try it yourself today in the sunlight. Just, you know, roll your sleeves up. This can be men and women, but I think, I think women are much better at doing exfoliating than men are. And just rub, rub your skin. If you see any clouds of stuff This off, is LBC, with the best of Steve Allen. All the manufacturers will tell you to exfoliate. It's the best thing. It, it is the best thing. So that's a tip from me to you. We'll have a quick break here. After the break, I'll be discussing how much money I'd been expecting to win earlier this week. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Earlier this week, I started by pondering how I'd spend my money. £92 million. £92 million. Pounds. That, would be, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. £92 million, pounds, please. I wouldn't mind earning £92 million for one evening. Can you imagine checking your ticket tomorrow and you go, I've just won £92 Because it's got to be somebody, hasn't it? But the odds are just nine in... Every time I buy a ticket, a friend of mine always goes, listen, you're not going to win it. I said, well, it could be me. They don't actually tell you that anymore because they quite clearly have realised that it probably isn't in many, many, many cases. Uh, somebody says, don't tell me when you were a DJ at UBN, pe- uh, people didn't throw themselves at you. No, sadly not. No, we didn't see anybody. We were isolated from the uh, from the actual factory. So, I, I mean, I did used to go round up north. Most friendly place, Manchester. Manchester, most friendly place. I mean, really, by, by a long shot. Well, apart from the girls in Toll Cross, just outside Glasgow, they would be drinking whiskey at eight in the morning. You know, they'd say, you'd have a, have, a, have a nip. And so they, they'd put some whiskey in a cup of tea. You'd wander around the factory in a dream, in an absolute dream. I used to hate going. What I used to do, the idea was you used to do factory visits because UBN was a, uh, the United Biscuits Network and it was piped out to the factory in Halston, Glasgow, uh, which was Toll Cross, Liverpool, Manchester and Osterley. And each girl on the line, and the reason they actually put the radio in is because it promoted loyalty to the company for United Biscuits, used to make for Marks and Spencers and Woolworths and loads and loads of other people. And so it became part of them, and they could fill in a little calling card, drop it in the box, it would be delivered down to the factory in London, and we would then read out, here's Mary and Jelly, uh, I think it was Mary, Tess and somebody else on Jelly Rounds number 5 in Liverpool. And they used to make the uh, the jellies that went on the Jaffa Cakes. And it was, it was, I used to go up there, and you'd have to go round and chat to people. But when I got to Glasgow, because they were quite strong of accent, I couldn't understand what they were saying. So you'd have to go and check in. Hi, Steve Allen here. OK, put your white coat on. Off you go round the factory. And they'd let you wander off by yourself. So I'd go to the laundry, because the girls always used to write to me from the, from the laundry, have a cup of tea with them, and then I'd wander off and go and sit in the toilet for an hour and a half and then just leave. Cause they, and they'd go, did you go round the factory? Yep, because people said they didn't see you. I said, well, I mean, I was there for a few hours at least. Then I'd head back to the airport and come back to London again. I was a bit of a cheat, actually. But Manchester, we'd, uh, because I was there for the overnight, I would actually go out and um, 
and have have drinks with the with the guys who are working on the lines there. Very social they were. Very social. Uh, anybody worried about snakes or rodents in their toilets at night should use a pot kept down to the bed as they did before homes had indoor toilets. Yes, I mean it's it's quite a big problem in London. I mean I don't want to sort of worry people, but that's why don't don't worry about the um, the water in the toilet because there's only a little bit of water. Anthea Turner, oh God, has told of the torture of dealing with the breakup of her 13-year marriage. Well, they always tell you everything, don't they? I mean, who cares? She split from businessman Grant Bovey. Businessman, you have to laugh, don't you? Nine months ago, amid claims he'd been unfaithful, they sold the Surrey home. She said, I know I'm not going to get over this in a hurry. Oh, shut up. Nobody cares. Try and keep some things private. Try and keep things private. That way, that way it sort of, it makes it better, doesn't it? Then you've at least got some dignity. But the more you keep droning on about your boring life and you and Grant Boffy. I mean, who cares? Nobody really cares about it. We just don't want to know, I'm afraid. I got that film through today, The Butler. Is it called The Butler? Got that one. I've got quite a number of uh, films to watch. I've got that one that's set in space. It's going to make me feel very dizzy. Sorry? Gravity. I've got that one to watch. I haven't, I haven't managed to watch either of them at the moment. I'm too busy going through my National Geographic. Uh, animals killing other animals. It's where you get sort of all the... Um, the interesting animals going out there to sort of kill poor wildebeest. Oh, here's Chloe Green. Oh, dear, I hope it's not a bad story. We were hoping, actually, because she seems fairly normal, if not desperately unattractive. Um, she's the daughter of uh, Philip Green, and she was uh, at a night out in a club. She was leaving the club, accompanied by a minder, who not only had the formidable task of looking after Chloe, but also the weighty job of carrying a handbag. Well, he might be gay, I don't know. Perhaps he might want to go out with... I mean, oh, she's coming out of the nightclub. Nobody, nobody knows who she is. No, she appeared on Made in Chelsea, I think, all but briefly, and that was it. She was so boring, they ended up dropping her, which is, uh, which is a shame. So, uh, so there's this poor... So she comes out with a minder. I told you, didn't I, as well? The Mahiki nightclub, you know, that fur thing, it's gone from the door completely. It's not there at all now. Ellie says, I wish you hadn't mentioned the, uh, the toilet and the rat. David says, there's a toilet on Westcliff Seafront converted to a restaurant called Toulouse. Toulouse. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, pity you didn't take time to know the real Glasgow. You can watch it when the Commonwealth Games are here this year. Oh, God, no, I don't want to go back to Glasgow again in a hurry. We stayed in one hotel uh, in Glasgow city centre. I realise that since I've been there, it's been named European City of Culture, and I have been back a couple of times. And um, and we went to one hotel. I thought, strange, the bar was full of women. Absolutely full of women. Turned out it was a red-light hotel. They were all working. I had no idea. <laughs> I wondered why it was really odd. We didn't tweak to that one at all. But no, we used to go there. It's the only place taxi drivers drive black taxis, but they've got a grill between you and them, and you put the money into a tray before they're going to open the door again. They're too too used to having people getting in and doing a runner afterwards. But there you go. So that's why. No, I, I appreciate the fact we've got a beautiful country, and I love going to as many places as possible. And and, and that's why I like the uh, the train journeys. It was interesting yesterday, we had Michael Portillo meeting a brass band, who I didn't think were the hottest brass band I've ever heard. There were a lot of people playing off-note. But uh, as I used to play in a brass band, that brought back happy memories. There's something very camp about Michael Portillo, though. He's got all these very, you know, so you get on a train and there's a man with a bright pink jacket on and a pale blue shirt. It's a little bit too camp. You know, you're expecting something a little bit butcher, perhaps more in the tweed line. But uh, he, seems to, uh, he seems to kind of in- enjoy it. And I'm, I'm fascinated by, by Bradshaw's. Fascinated. Uh, somebody says here, this is from Al, he says, I've just heard you played in a brass band. What instrument? I used to play, wait for it, a flugelhorn. 
a flugelhorn. It's like a mystery sound, isn't it? A flugelhorn, which is a combination between a trumpet and a cornet. And I used to lovingly take it home. I was in our school brass band and we used to play Christmas concerts and uh, for Remembrance Sunday we would play as well. I used to love it. Unfortunately, I can't read music. And so the bandmaster would put down the fingering for me. Because you've got three valves, he put down zero one. So you just have one down. Uh, two, three, one, three, two, one, or whatever it happened to be. And as long as I knew the tune, I could actually play it. <laughs> so I was, I was all right, but I enjoyed it, actually. Um, another one says here, Jan says, Michael McIntosh shows, Michael McIntosh was great. His unique talent. I didn't doubt that at all, love. But uh, don't diss him without watching. Well, we know people who went to the recording. Apparently two and a half hours sitting there, bum-numbingly boring, I'm afraid. Uh, Will says, I see the intellectual giant that is Helen Flanagan thinks that being a vegan allows her to eat burgers. Yes, (laughs) that is true, actually. Uh, Finish work to find Towie on, says Mark. It's embarrassingly awful, and the cast are so peculiar looking. And by the way, Gemma Collins is huge. I know it's that stupid little child's voice she's got. What with her and uh, the only gay in the world, Bobby Boris Cole, Bobby Norris, whatever he is, really deeply, deeply unattractive. Small wonder that none of the gay magazines have asked him at all uh, if he'd like to pose for them. Dreadful person. Uh, somebody comes from Liverpool. Poor sod, anyway. But says that I might be a failed pop star. I haven't started yet. I know it's nice to admit the failure before you start, though. And says that when I do. I'll have more money in the bank than you. I doubt that very much indeed. I mean, you come from Liverpool, dear. You're starting with a handicap. And says, uh, but I'm having vocal lessons. Oh, God, give it up now. If you can't... I mean, first of all, either you could sing or you can't sing. Having vocal lessons isn't going to help you sing, as you know. And uh, say, regarding Cheryl Cole, there's nothing wrong with her because she comes from a faceless council estate. No, no, she's Chief Chav. Her brother's been in, uh, in court for drugs offences. Um, oh, no, she's, she's definitely from the wrong side of the tracks. He says, I'm going to attend an audition in Manchester. Lovely. As long as you stay up there, we don't mind, dear. That's fine. We won't go any further than that. I mean, you, you only have to watch the Pop Stars The Reunion programme to realise what the word failure means. I was absolutely horrified to discover that 90% of them can't, can't hold a tune. They all think, yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. It's, it's apparently singing nowadays, which it isn't. Also, three and four children eating too much salt. Do you add I don't add salt to food now. I know that you go to restaurants and have salt and pepper on the table. I've never used it in my life. Pepper, I'm not particularly... I think vastly overrated pepper. Perhaps it's a northern thing. With all due apologies to people in the north. Must be dreadful for you. Uh, But to have pepper on the table and salt... I've never put salt on anything. On chips, yes. But I wouldn't put it actually into food. I'm assuming it's already got enough in there. But kids are eating dangerous amounts. Because it's in in so many things. I mean, apparently, children should have no more than between... Two grams and six... I'm assuming gra- G is grams, is it? Yeah, it must be. Two and six grams of salt a day, depending on their age. Two slices of wholemeal bread. There's a, there's a gram of salt in that. In bread? I didn't know there was salt. I suppose there must be, mustn't really. Um, a small packet of ready-salted crisps is only 0.35. There's more salt in two slices of white bread. In a bagel, there's 0.7. Nearly a gram of salt in a bagel. Or a bagel. In a portion of Heinz spaghetti hoops, 7.7 gram. One pork sausage, 1.1 grams of sausage meat has got salt in it. A bowl of Nestle's Golden Grahams, whatever they are, 0.48. It's 
bad, isn't it, really? So it's, it's a pork sausage that's got the majority. And who likes pork sausages? We do. We love pork sausages. A gram of salt. That's terrible, isn't it, really? And it's supposed to be really bad for you, so uh, shan't be eating pork sausages again. Actually, the only pork sausages that I ever eat are the ones from Marks and Spencers, which are 90... I think they're 98% meat. Because if you buy sausages, and I did buy some a while ago, and they were Richmond sausages, because I saw them on the table. When I looked at them, they, they appeared to be pink. Like, false pink. Like, and then I looked at the, quantity, the, the amount of meat in there. It was pitifully awful. It was something like 36... I can't remember exactly, but it was some, whatever it was, it certainly wasn't what you expect in a sausage. And they looked delicious on the television. So, of course, I immediately rush out there and buy a pack. Then I looked and I thought, there's hardly any meat in them. It's all made up of mix and all sorts of strange stuff. So we gave those up. I'm, I'm looking for, for proper proper sausages, proper meat sausages. Another tip. That's two now. Don't forget, in half an hour, you'll hear from Brian Connolly and Ruby Wax as they join me for In Conversation. But now, LBC News time. It's 5.30. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, you're listening to The Best of Steve Allen this Sunday morning on LBC. Coming up in half an hour, I'm in conversation with Brian Connolly and Ruby Wax. But for now, my best bits. And this week, we were talking about one of my new favourite topics, football. Arsenal, terribly sorry. Yes, the, the draw in Munich, not enough to prevent the Champions League exit. Eliminated at the first knockout stage for the fourth successive season, despite a battling 1-1 draw with Bayern Munich. So, uh, sorry about that. A little bit embarrassing. I know that Neil is absolutely gutted, as indeed is uh, many, many other people. Somebody wrote to me saying, I had no idea that you were a gooner. I said, well, I've had lots of diseases in my time. You know, I've managed to, managed to escape most of them at the moment. But uh, not, much, uh, not much good, I'm afraid. But there was a documentary on the television about uh, Arsenal and England's Ian Wright. He says, lovely bloke. Yeah, actually, I heard it. I mean, I, I don't, don't want to put the cat among the pigeons and upset you, Neil. But... Uh, he used to present a programme on the television and it used to take them for ages to get it right because he's, he's not a particularly good presenter. It actually it took them almost as long as Michael McIntyre to do a programme. So, but anyway, he says, uh, if you get a chance to watch it, it's touching, honest and genuine, if you don't like football. He says, I've sent you a little link when Ian meets the teacher who took him under his wing, who Ian believed had died some years earlier. So there you go. He says, read Bob Crow, admittedly not everybody's cup of tea. He did stick up for his members and wasn't afraid to stand up and be counted, something many MPs could do with adopting and thoughts to the, uh, to the family. Yes, I mean, the, it's funny, the, the moment somebody dies, out come all the, uh, the people going, oh, he was great, he was this and that. You know, a week ago, they're just pulling him apart. You know, he, he believed in it, I suppose. He was a bit of a champagne socialist. He enjoyed the finer things in life. And that's the way he worked. The interesting thing will be... Who's in the front running to take over his job? Is there anybody out there who has got as much, you know, charisma, chutzpah, whatever, whatever you want to call it from Bob Crow? Is there anybody out there who has actually got that? So far, I haven't seen any names emerging. I've seen a few union leaders being interviewed, but I haven't seen anybody who's actually uh, put themselves forward to say, uh, I, I, could, uh, I could run the RMT. Um, I have done the update. Comes down over Wi-Fi, says Steve. However, since the update, I've now got an arrow icon next to the alarm clock symbol that I cannot get rid of. Noticeable changes so far have been the end call button whilst making a call. Yes, I'll tell you what I noticed, sending texts. The text uh, has come up differently. It looks darker. It looks much, much darker. Um, and I, that I noticed straight away. 
whether, I mean, to be honest with you, whether or not that's, that was there beforehand, I don't know, but I'm sure it was, it was paler. So I did turn off the Wi-Fi yesterday. I don't know why I turned. I just thought it was using up too much power. It probably isn't. Probably isn't at all. I'm off to the cinema today. I'm going to see a, a new film, which I'm looking forward to. I hope I don't fall asleep. I'm dreadful at these. You go along to these preview cinemas, and uh, there's about... 50 seats in there, or so. sometimes they're a bit smaller than that. I've sat in some, some, I've been to hotels into their screening rooms. But th- this one is one of the big, uh, big film companies today. And I know I shall sit down there. It's like sitting in an armchair and you just kind of you know, sort of nod off. If the film doesn't grip you, you know, then you, you do tend to nod off. The story I mentioned at the beginning of the programme makes the front page of the Metro today. And it's the story of a nail biter. Be warned, nail biters. This is not a pleasant story. Um, John Gardner chewed his finger ends frequently. He contracted a septic infection. He was a diabetic. It killed him days after his 40th birthday. Uh, He's a former amateur football referee. He died as he recovered from an operation to remove the tip of a finger. And uh, last night, his mother, Jean, claimed more could have been done to help him and his death should serve as a warning to others who bite their nails. I bite my nails. I was getting... It's... Actually, I saw another one of our presenters, uh, one of our sister stations, yesterday. I went up their uh, stairs to record Russell Watson. And this presenter was biting... I said, don't bite your nails. But it's an... You know, if you bite... It's like... The funny thing is, is it's smoking. It's smoking all over again. If you're a smoker... You love smoking. If you're a non-smoker, you can't quite understand why people still smoke, knowing the damage it's doing to them. If you're a nail-biter, nobody can ever understand. I used to be able to bite my toenails many, many years ago. It has to be said there's no chance of getting anywhere near them at the moment. But his fingernails were always in a, a very bad condition. Um, he had endured a fairly difficult life. He did suffer from depression, OK? So let's, let's not sort of say it was solely down to the fact that he was biting his nails, but unfortunately, being a diabetic, you've got to be extremely careful. He had a leg amputated a few years back because of his diabetes, but he, he died two weeks after. I mean, he did get, you know, as much as, you know, you can say, a high standard of care. But at the end of the day, it turned septic. They removed the top of his finger, but unfortunately, it spread, and he died as a result. Whether or not that puts you off biting your fingernails, I do not know. I have no idea. Steve says, uh, if phones are still ringing, this is for the, the doomed plane, they would be able to triangulate to within 50 metres of where the phones are. I find it hard to believe they wouldn't have done it already. I'm assuming they've tried everything, and that's why they are, they are none the wiser. I mean, I'm assuming... I mean, they can't be that daft. They must have tried everything, mustn't they? <clears throat> Take me back, says Richard in Wapping, to the old days when only men would read the news. Robert Dougal and Reggie Bosenket, or Boozalot. Yes, he, he was, he was, I'm afraid, sozzled a lot of the time. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> uh, what have happened to the old Trevor McDonut? Is he still doing the round somewhere, or is he retired? And who the hell is Carol Kirkwood? New one on me, says Steve. I think she reads the weather on, on, a, on a, a TV station. Is she on the BBC or something like that? I don't understand why they give awards to somebody who reads the weather. It's not like she goes out there and has to look at her Stevenson screen, is it? Well, perhaps she does, I don't know. But uh, but we used to have that thing with the weather, didn't we? Who was the woman who used to read on ITV? Didn't she go out with Lembidopic or something? Is that Sean Lloyd? She was from Welsh Wales, wasn't she, Sean Lloyd? She looks very like my my neighbour Lynn, Sean Lloyd. Where's she gone? She doesn't read the weather now. They they started. I think Channel 5 started the idea of bringing in little sort of poppets who came. They didn't know anything about the weather. They just had to read what somebody else had written for them. Because Ulrika Johnson didn't know anything about the weather at all. 
but she was brought in because she fitted. I think she was a, she was a secretary, wasn't she? And they gave her a go reading the weather in the early days of TVAM, and so the rest, as they say, is history. The rest, as they say, is history. Uh, it's amazing how the conspiracy theories continue on the, the flight that has vanished off the face of the earth. And having had the story the other day of the woman whose cockatiel was sitting up a tree, and it took something like 14 firemen, RSPCA inspector and two PCSOs, now we have the hamster who disappears into a pipe. And they had to, you know, um, they ended up digging up this pipe which was outside. Hamsters are very adventurous. They like going, I mean, our, our cat was as adventurous as our hamster. We used to have a bathroom. Well, of course, most people had a bar. We weren't that, that, that primitive. But it, had, um, it was an airing cupboard as well. And there was a gap in the floorboards. And our cat, if ever you opened the airing cupboard door to get the towels out, so it kept the towels nice and warm and stuff like that, uh, the cat would shoot down. The, it would see this hole in there. And it would go all the way to the front of the house. You could hear it padding its way all the way along to it. And it would stay there. And to get it out was a devil of a job. In the case of the hamster, they actually feared that, uh, that Holly, the hamster, was a gooner. Sorry, goner. And, uh, and so they didn't know what to do. So they, they dug the, uh, the pipe up. And a very small, very interesting. They tried carrots. They tried toys, bits of wood. Sadly, they climbed into bed with tears in their little eyes. Because they, they thought the hamster had gone. But uh, they didn't. When dawn broke, they could hear Holly scampering about, so they asked some workmen to help out. They crowded at the end of the pipe, dug a deep hole, but Holly did not emerge. So they grabbed an industrial air hose and switched it on. And effectively, it blew the hamster out the other end of the... Imagine the hamster, I'm not going, what the... I'm flying without wings. Straight out the end... And uh, a one, one very muddy little hamster, but now back with, uh, with owner Elisha in Lancashire. And that, as they say, is a true story. Uh, regarding the no-mark celebrities, says Kevin, the Kent milkman, I was watching some old Oscar awards the other day. Charlie Chaplin, James Stewart and Sinatra, to name but a few. Yes, I know. What do we get now? Joey Essex and Suzanne Reed. That's, that's the level, I think. But that, of course, watching the Oscars. And there is a, a DVD out, I think, called Oscar. And it's got all the people on there. John Wayne coming on. He had very bad throat cancer when he came on. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, they couldn't get the sound right for him, so it was all <laughs> whistling and you didn't hear him for the start. He said, oh, you sweet, wonderful people. He was quite old by that time. He's well into his 90s. Uh, and also, Anne Robinson has gone. Is she out of favour, says Kevin the Kent Milkman? I don't know where Anne Robinson has disappeared to. Said, Perhaps having more surgery. Who knows? Dee says, looking at today's female TV presenters, makes me realise what a treasure we lost in Jill Dando. Yes, yes. Oh, and the biscuit that you dunk, by the way. The biscuit that you dunk. It's not a chocolate digestive. I thought maybe maybe a bourbon or something like that, or, or a jammy dodger. I was thinking that maybe one of these... But it depends. I mean, I personally do not dunk biscuits. I think it's extremely common and very bad manners. You don't go round to sort of somebody... I mean, you wouldn't find them dunking, would you, in Downton Abbey? Not the kind of thing you would do. I wouldn't even dunk here. I just think it's really rude. It's, it's very... You know, some people do it. And then, but then you leave the biscuit in there, and then it dissolves, and it sort of floats around like a bit of sort of, you know, a seashore in Brighton on a bad summer's day. Not that I think we're going to get a bad summer's day, if indeed we ever get summer. But no, the biscuit, which is the one that you can dunk the best. You don't tell me you don't dunk biscuits, do you really? That is so common. It's just, oh, you don't drink tea. What are you dunking them in? You drink, you, you dunk biscuits in coffee. 
You don't drink coffee either. What do you? What are you dunking? Oh right, you don't dunk anymore. So you don't drink tea or, or coffee. You drink you dunk hot hot chocolate. So he dunks biscuits in hot chocolate. How common, ladies and gentlemen. You know, so glad that I don't associate with it. I mean, I couldn't... I've never been out with anybody who sat there with a cup of hot chocolate or tea or coffee and dunked a biscuit. Because I think I'd have to leave the table. I would have to make my excuses. You know, imagine over the breakfast tables. It's like dunking your toast. You know, you wouldn't dunk toast, would you? Or a bit of bacon in your tea, just to add to it. Yesterday, I discovered something unusual, though. Well, I'll tell you what the biscuit is in one, one second. Um, I discovered two people in the LBC office who eat cereal without milk on. And it's Rice Krispies. They eat rice... And I said, well, I could also eat Rice rice Krispies. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine, and he went, oh, no, right? How can you eat cereal without milk? I said, well, if you're very poor and you're living in London at the moment, there's probably quite a few of you eating... Probably in Blackpool. It's quite normal up there. You know, you go out to a, a hotel and they go, would you like cereal? And you go, yes, please. And you get the milk. And you get milk? I don't think so. I don't think so. We should bring the cow to the table. No, 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 no. So, so people can actually eat it. And then I said... And, this, and this, this sort of provoked cries of, oh, how awful and disgusting. Butter on Weetabix. It's very difficult to butter a Weetabix without it falling apart. You've got to be very careful. It has to be spread. You can't use hard bits of butter. It's just ridiculous. The thing crumbles. But butter on Weetabix. I've eaten on new, numerous occasions. Not recently. It has to be said. Not recently. But I have eaten butter on, on Weetabix. And I have... Uh, I have actually had loads and loads of cereal without... Milk. So it's, it, is, it is possible. But the biscuit that you dunk, which is the favourite... This is what the scientists can... It's all to do with dunkability. I don't, I'm really not interested in what biscuits you dunk. I'm quite horrified that people still do it. Rich tea. So make sure that's the biscuit that you'll be dunking this morning whilst listening to In Conversation. Let's take a quick break. When we're back, I found myself in a good mood. Kel surprise. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Early this week, we had a lot going on. It's all, it's all happening. I'm just in one of those particularly good moods, you know, which actually is, is on a daily basis. I don't have bad moods. I really don't have bad... The only bad mood I ever have is when I look at my watch and I'm still in London. That's the, that's the only time. But I, then I don't get a bad mood. I just think, what time am I going to get home? And all the thought yesterday was, tablets. I've got to get home and have my tablets. That's all I kept thinking. I got quite panicky yesterday about tablets, thinking perhaps I should take them all in the morning. I thought, no, that's ridiculous, Stephen. You can't take 14 tablets in the morning. You have to split them up for lunchtime. Apart from that, Mr Shah will be very upset and the, uh, the chemists in, uh, in Twickenham. So uh, everything looking good. Should be sorting out some new hanging baskets. Twickenham, meanwhile, the home of rugby, is undergoing a transformation. They're moving bus stops. There's people from Conway's who are digging up the road and not digging up the road and putting in wide... Pe- oh, it's just it's a nightmare. It really is. It never stops, you know. Even in London, they're always doing some sort of building work. This is about the only place. When they do the building work here, the good thing is that they, they do it and then when it finishes... I mean, this building is pristine. I mean, absolutely pristine. I mean, you, you could eat off the floor in here. You could eat off the floor. But the one thing that they have done... Which is, uh, which is slightly disturbing, is the loo outside used to have a little fire on the wall and they've cut the plug off, so there is, there's no fire on the... The fire on the wall is there, but there's nothing to plug it into. So, in other words, I think it's so you don't hang around too much. Uh, live daily in Mexico is Linda. She said, uh, I'm on a fab holiday, first in Tulum, and then Baja de California on the West Coast. 
haven't seen any heads hanging anywhere. Yeah, this is because Mexico at the moment is in the middle of the biggest drug war with the with the cartels operating over there and literally executions on a daily basis. The people of Mexico City had to drive through a tunnel, I think about a year ago, and there were 20 bodies hanging from the interior of the tunnel. It's the turf wars over who can sell the most drugs, who's actually got the most drugs, who's the most powerful. And as human life is cheap out there, they have no hesitation in executing people. I think the police came uh, by about about six months ago, a pile of heads just by the side of the road. They'd been taken from people who were who were obviously working for another drug cartel. I mean, it's dangerous out there. I've spoken to film crews who've been there before, and they kind of want to get through there as fast as possible. You know, there are people who live normally, but the, because of this huge problem with drugs, that's and where, the, where there's drugs, there's money. And you see it on the cop programmes that we have on the television here. And you look at the people and they go, have you got any drugs on you? And they stop people and a little bit of cannabis or a little bit of this. Colorado, they've licensed it, as you know. And I said yesterday, eight point something million pounds they took in a month in the shops over there. Eight point something million pounds on drugs. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I never got into cannabis or anything like that. I did Halliborange tablets. I did... Anadin, paracetamol, and Exlax chocolate. And that's about, not all at the same time, as you can well imagine. That could be a complete disaster, which it was for a friend of mine, but that's another story. Uh, there's a charity worker here. And you won't, I mean, I think sometimes we have gone completely mad. She's suing because a seagull swooped on her in the street. OK. There is a little bit more to it than that. It, it, it isn't as straightforward. This is uh, a lady called Cathy Kelly. Um, the seagull swooped on her. She wants £30,000 in compensation. And she was so terrified, she stumbled on the steps outside her office and hurt herself. She took a fortnight off work, which left her shaken and distressed. And she's suing the taxpayer-funded owner of the building, claiming it didn't take sufficient care for her safety. How oh, you make this one stand up in court? I've got no idea. And so she wants £30,000. She's quite clearly, you know, off her trolley, you're saying. She thinks she's got a good case. She says a nearby rubbish dump has made the area a magnet for seagulls and they nest on the roof of the building. She was going to a burger van at lunchtime. I got to the bottom of the steps and this gull came for me at full speed, wings outstretched, coming to my face. I realised I'd never get back into the van. I had to get back into the building for safety. It was screaming at me. Very dramatic old drama queen, isn't she, really? But uh, anyway, this is... um, in Edinburgh. So she got pains in her chest. She was off sick for two weeks. God, blimey, I tell you. I thought up in Edinburgh they were pretty hardy people. Um, the landlord of the building, which is part of an organisation set up by the Scottish Government and local council, denies liability. It says Mrs Kelly was partly to blame because she didn't look where she was putting her feet. The judge has told Mrs Kelly that although she sued for 30000 she's likely to be awarded no more than £7,000 even if she manages to prove the builder's owner was entirely at fault. I mean, how do they... I mean, what is it? I mean, is this woman so cracked that, you know, she thinks we've got to give her £30,000? For what, love? I mean, it's just absolutely... I mean, should I start suing because I run for the bus... Well, I don't really run for the bus. But, you know, if I run for the bus and I miss it and the the driver pulls away because he's arrived there before I thought he was going to, do I then sue the bus company for something like that? You know, Cathy Kelly, with all due respect, you know, it's not 
you know, somebody's fault that a seagull happens to attack you. I mean, are you attacked on a daily basis? Or was this a random attack? Perhaps it didn't like the look of you. You know, some people are like that, aren't they? You know, some people get, you know, seagulls are a problem in the area. We've had this before where they dive bomb people to take their ice creams and stuff like that. You don't find them suing. You don't find them suing. I mean, Kat, yeah, two weeks off work because she was shaken and distressed. I mean, I can't help but feel, you know, sometimes you have to hold your hands up in the air and go, oh, get a life, please get a life. And uh, do you remember we brought you the news about Chris Tarrant uh, saying, we thought it was an asthma attack, turns out it was a, a mini stroke. He's 67. He's 67. He was uh, on this 11-hour flight and uh, he needed emergency treatment to remove a potentially fatal blood clot. Initially thought, as I say, I thought he had a, an asthma attack. Doctors discovered a clot in his leg. It's thought part of the clot broke away and lodged in a blood vessel. Dear God in heaven. And the reason, they say, is that sitting on a plane for so long, that's what they say, you must get up on a plane and exercise. You must, Especially if you're on long haul. This was an 11-hour flight. Now, normally on an 11-hour flight, I'm always stretching my legs out and, you know sort of doing arabesques and pirouettes and things like that, much to the annoyance of all the other passengers. Then I sleep for the rest of it. I don't really care. I'm not really one of these people who wants to drink endlessly on flights across the Atlantic or any other ocean. All I want to do is just get on board, turn the light off, close the window blind, go to sleep. I'm quite happy. I could sleep anywhere. I really... I could sleep on a bus. Well, I have slept on a bus, actually, before. <laughs> I've slept all over the place. So that's what they say, to you know, to stop blood clots forming... And especially as you get a bit older, you need to exercise the old bones a little bit better. But uh, he's had the best possible care. And uh, his manager, Paul Vaughan, has says he was at London's Charing Cross Hospital. He's been receiving it there since March the 1st. Expected to leave home today or tomorrow. So we wish Chris Tarrant the very, uh, the very best. Uh, we played the Liverpool Monopoly, Monopoly game, says Andrew, last night, which is uh, great. You've just pinched some car wheels. Go directly to jail. OK, that's a very good one. Uh, community chess, you've just paid, been paid your doll money. Go straight to the newsagent to buy some fags. And uh, Liverpool Lime Street Railway Station. I'm sorry, I can't understand what you're saying. Go to elocution classes. You are a rogue landlord. Collect £2,000 in rent. The Liverpool Monopoly game. You could probably adapt that around the world, couldn't you? I think that could be quite funny. With apologies to people in Liverpool. We love you. Love you. Mean it. Really, really mean it. On the subject of Brussels, I went to Brussels and thought it was ghastly a couple of years ago, says uh, Richard. Expensive, run down and full of beggars. Take my advice, get off at Lille. Well, actually, I thought Paris was like that. Full of, uh, full of lowlifes, I'm afraid. And terribly expensive. The one thing I thought about Paris was it was so ridiculously expensive. I mean, even some... And in one place, a cafe by the side of the road, a burger and chips was something like 37 euros. 37? I mean, that was just... In the end, we had, very uninspired, I'm afraid, we had um, croque-monsieur. I think we shared a portion of chips. It was so, we had to take out a third, a third loan or something to get, to get round there. Paris is so expensive. But I remember somebody telling me years ago, Paris is nice, but at a price. All we did, we aimed to do all the tourist attractions in the day that we were there. Loved the Eurostar. Loved the Eurostar. That's a great thing to do. So we'll do it to Brussels. You never know, we might actually find a, find a, a nice place. Do you know that most women plan the big day, the big day being the wedding, before finding a groom? Because apparently it's quite difficult, quite difficult for people to find, you know, potential partners. 
in town. You know, you can go into pubs and things like that, but they're not really marrying kinds, are they? And so more and more people appear to be turning to dating. Speed dating was, was very popular at one point, I seem to remember. That's where you sort of sit down, you go and say, hello, my name's Steve, I like Chardonnay, and I like kebabs. I'm diabetic, I've got a heart complaint, and, um, and I'm as well as I could be. <laughs> they go, next. That's about it, isn't it? Uh, here we go. It's uh, a Black Panther. Could be on the loose in Essex. It's not, of course. It'd just be a cat. But again, we've had this before. They say, photograph prowling a field near a primary school has sparked suggestions that it could be a Black Panther. And uh, Mrs Lacey, 58, uh, took the picture. She's got a really naff phone because she couldn't even get a close-up picture of this thing. It's terrible. My husband said, come and have a look at this. It was jet black... Uh, head down and prowling. It was unfamiliar and walked in an unfamiliar way. Uh, They say it could be a leopard or a jaguar. The field is normally home to horses and goats, but there were none inside while the panther was on patrol. Um, I'm afraid there are no black panthers out there, no matter how many times barking mad people take pictures and go, oh, look, look, It's, uh, it's a black panther. Apparently in 2008... It was a sighting by a milkman. Oh, not a milkman. Out of anybody. Not a milkman, thank you. Uh, one of Chef Gordon Ramsay's lambs was savaged in nearby Sawbridgeworth. Well, that could be foxes. That could be just about anything at all. It could be dogs. Could be dogs. There's no, uh, there's no indication. So it is the Olympic hero and Tour de France winner Sir Bradley Wiggins gearing up for a cameo role in the Archers. I still remember that day. I was there. We went out there and, and we watched Bradley Wiggins coming through. Just a blur as far as I was going. Gone. We caught him in uh, in the park, and then we sort of we'd seen him at uh, the roundabout in Kingston. We saw yeah, this knocking and all the rest of it. I think they're hoovering the door outside. Either that or somebody's trying to break in. And uh, let's put the lock on. So at least the producer won't be able to get in. Well, those are my best bits from the week on LBC. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning, live at four, so I look forward to talking to you then. Don't forget, you can download all the podcasts from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, I'm in conversation with Brian Connolly and Ruby Wax, so make sure you stay tuned for that. From LBC, this is Steve Allen, and that is next.